This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! It's time! Time to take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to the Must Listen To Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in all of Acadiana. It is, of course, Under the Dome, your boy CD, live as always from the 237 Roof Studios. From the roof to the roots of Acadiana, they have got you covered, those good brothers over there, just call them up at 237-ROOF, 237-7663. They make your roof look good, but trust me, baby, we're looking good. Baby, we're looking good. Woo! Especially when you look at LSU. They had a big commitment the other night in Eric, I'm a, I'm trying to remember, Eric Gilbert. There we go. Couldn't remember his name. This is his last name for a split second there. But you had that big commitment. This one just came through the wires just moments ago, and it involves a four-star commitment from the state of Virginia, four-star safety Malcolm Green. He just got off the phone with Ed Ogeron. This is according to Shea Dixon of Go 24-7 Sports. And of course, if you hear him on 103.7 The Game, you, you listen to Ben Love. You know who this is. He's a man who has some connections, but it's really cool. What a way to start off the program with a big move. In terms of the world of recruiting, LSU continues to crush it on the recruiting trail, really showing that with Ed Ogeron, that grind don't stop, and then Tigers are looking pretty darn good. We're looking good. Woo! And I'm looking good as well on a wonderful Saturday afternoon. Or should I say Saturday morning right now? Eventually, it'll get to Saturday afternoon because it's a super-sized edition of Under the Dome with CD live from the 237 Roof Studios. We're going till 1230, baby. Why not? Because guess what? We've got a lot of things to talk about right before LSU takes on Auburn. I've got a lot of things to break down when it comes to that. We'll talk about that all throughout the program. And by the way, if you want to call us up, the Arco Equipment Hotline, it is wide open. we got spots for guests, of course, but in between that time, we want your opinion. We want your takes. So call us up, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. 0111. That's how we roll here on Acadiana Sports Station. And after some, I'd say, fan perspective, getting the listenership to tell me what they want. We're going to give the people what they want. Instead of me just breaking down all the notable games in the Acadiana area that happen on our Delta Media family of stations, I'm going to go ahead and give you, the people, a full breakdown of what happened on Thursday night and what happened on Friday night. And I'll do that right now. Oh, it feels so good to hear that song once again. It is back in my life on a Saturday morning. Didn't realize how much I missed it till it was gone. That being said, Thursday night was full of games, obviously, with a lot of the rain that we had. It was just more of a constant rain. It wasn't like a torrential downpour like some thought it was going to be. Maybe it's just a little bit more case of being more safe than sorry. 
But we'll start things off in District 3, 5A, Acadiana. Whip it up on Sam Houston. This is a Big 12S score. 82-41, Acadiana rams it down Sam Houston's throat, and they get it done. Then you have Southside hosting Lafayette High, the Mighty Lions, and Southside seems like they've secured the bag and punched the ticket for their first ever playoff spot. Of course, you still got a couple more weeks left, but more likely than not, Southside will be in that spot, winning 63-35. In District 4-4A, Eunice beat Tioga 32-27. You look at District 5-4A, STM continuing to dominate towards the tail end of the season. It was a 41-0 victory. Speaking of 41 points, that's how much Karen put up on Thursday night against Abbeville, one of the other notable 5-4A matchups. Then you have Bro Bridge beating up on Bo Shane in District 6-4A action, 40-3. Cecilia taking down Opelousas, holding serve at home, 41-12. A lot of lopsided ball games on Thursday night. Yet Northwest beat Mamu like a drama. 43-8 in District 5-3A action. Church Point beating up on Ville Platte, 53-7. And Iota beating Pine Prairie, 49-14. District 4-3A, yet St. Louis Catholic beat South Beauregard. Iowa beat Westlake. Both of those scores were 42-27. Save you a little time. Jennings loses to Lake Charles College Prep, 45-35. LCA shuts out poor Barry, 49-0. Lake Arthur takes down Welsh in 6-2A action, 24-13. Delcom beats Generette, 56-16. Catholic High in New Iberia beats Homa Christian up. 49 to 7. Then we move over to 8 1 A. A lot of games happening over on that end of the spectrum with Central Catholic Morgan City 49, Covenant Christian nothing, Vermilion Catholic hosting Centerville. And it was a little bit of a slugfest early on in the matchup, but at the end of the day, you wound up seeing things turn around with Vermilion Catholic getting a 49 to 13 win after what seemed like it was just going to be a low scoring contest. Things turned around, and it was a whole lot of fun to listen to. Overall, 106.3 Radio Lafayette. I was running that game, and trust me, that opening drive was uh, it felt like 20 minutes. But it was still pretty, pretty darn good. That being said, we're going to flip it on over to Highland Baptist at Hanson Memorial. Highland Baptist gets a 48-12 win. Other matchups that happened last night in the midst of all that rain, a lot of these were kind of slogs. You had Barb beating Sulphur 24-21. Como beating New Iberia narrowly 18-14 in District 5-4A action. Westgate surprising everybody again. I like what they did a couple weeks ago against STM. Turlings loses 53-35. Those Westgate Tigers continuing to look pretty darn good at this point in the season. And you also have Rain beating LaGrange 21-14 in an overtime matchup. North Vermilion comes away with a 35-34 win. Over Washington Marion. Kaplan beats Crowley 30-14. St. Martinville 28-27 over Erath. Ascension Episcopal hangs on to beat Franklin 14-12. Lauraville beats West St. Mary 46-12. And the final game in the Acadian area wound up getting canceled. And that was what was going on between Notre Dame and Central Private. That game was canceled on like Friday afternoon. It was officially announced. So make sure... You check out what's good on 1037thegame.com, especially with the Delta Media family of stations. We've got a chance to have, I'll throw it out there, we'll have three of our 
family of stations, three team, three members of our family adults media stations have high school playoff games more likely than not. Caracrow, Southside, and right now it's probably going to be STM as well because it's definitely what everybody kind of just looks at. I think we see Caracrow get in. Caracrow's locked in at this point, just a matter of where and what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks because next week is a big one. Caracrow, STM, this is one's going to be for the 4-4-A district, the 5-4-A, excuse me, so used to be 4-4-A, but it's 5-4-A district crown is going to be up for grabs in this one. And, you know, me and Ben, I'm a, the play-by-play voice for the Caracrow Golden Bears, me and him talked a little bit about in depth in terms of Caracrow and a run in the playoffs. And I think they have every chance to make a run at the postseason, make a lengthy run at that. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've seen a lot of positives from this team and be able to get things done and be able to win in like dominant fashion. We look at what they did against Abbeville. Abbeville's a bad team, don't get me wrong, but Abbeville could have wanted to cause a little problem for them, cause cause a little ruckus in the classification of of class four A. Because right here, right now, Cairngorm's looking good. They're kind of in the top ten. They're sitting pretty at this point in time. Obviously, when you lose, when you beat these lower level teams, these lower tier teams, like last week, they beat Northside down like a drum. That'll drop you down to those power point rankings, which are very confusing to me. But you know what? It is what it is. I just like what I've seen in the last few weeks from Cairngorm to say that they can make a run. But a lot of it is going to wind up depending on who can be. That popcorn Prejean guy. Because popcorn Prejean, he's out. He's gonna be out for the rest of the year due to injury, and it's very disappointing. But I want to see who can step up in a big way because we've seen Kendrell Williams get it done. We've seen a lot of these guys help take the load off of Tavion Falk, and I like what I've seen from them as of late. I want to keep seeing that momentum going. Keep, keep seeing where we see the Cameron Golden Bears in a few weeks' time because I think they have every chance to make a run. Now, how long? of a run they're going to wind up doing, having, I could probably say quarterfinals. Because it always feels like the quarterfinals are where Karakuro is destined to make it to, and then something happens. The last few years, Neville has been the big bugaboo. That has been the big bugaboo for the Karakuro Golden Bears, has been Neville. Can that change the next year? I wouldn't be surprised if that changes at all. Because I could, I could see them, especially if they stay in that top 10, top 12 ranking over the next few weeks. Of course, if they beat STM next week, their power rating is going to go all the way up like like Fat Joe, that song. That, that game is going to be a whole lot of fun next week, and you'll hear that right here on 103.7 The Game. The St. Thomas More Call and then Carroll Golden Bears football on Z1059. And trust me, there's going to be a lot of great games going on next week. But I think that one definitely is the marquee one that everybody is looking at because obviously STM – is a team that's definitely starting to turn things around towards the tail end of the season after a couple tough losses, Catholic High, Baton Rouge, and the up and Westgate upsetting them late to very close ball games. I like what I've seen from STM as of late in the last few weeks because they finally kind of found that groove again where they're able to win, as maybe Danny Jones put it, one win by four touchdowns. But I like what I've seen from them as of late, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with the the St. Thomas More Cougars over the next couple of weeks. But I'll go ahead and take a quick commercial break. We're, we're starting things off right. But in the next segment, we're going to take a little step back from the world of sports for, for just a moment. For just a moment. Indulge me, if you will, because I've got a story to tell about some research that was done by reviews.org. And 
it's interesting when you look at the state state of Louisiana and the best college town. Who's who was the best college town in the state of Louisiana? I'll tell you about that next. You're listening to Under the Dome right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 the game and 1037thegame.com. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. Fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And I want to get in on something. It's not necessarily sports-related, but definitely is college-related when it comes to college, the best college towns in each of the 50 states, of course. And they kind of almost defaulted in terms of Hawaii, Honolulu, and Anchorage. But before I get into where the state of Louisiana landed. This is coming from reviews.org, and I was just blown away by this yesterday when I saw this pop up on the Twitter machine. And I was like, how does the state of Louisiana look? And the way they did the methodology, they broke it down. You had, they narrowed down the amount of colleges you have, college towns you have, and narrowed narrowed it down to cities with fewer than 250,000 residents. Keep that number in mind. And they also thought about Metro areas surrounding those smaller towns that would also include the student population. And using data from the Census Bureau and labor statistics, it's all a bunch of different data and whatnot. And they analyze the overall population, student population, and everything else going on to break down what's going on in terms of best college towns by state. And I was blown away by some of these. Namely, there was one in particular that I was like, who? So Lawton, Oklahoma was named the best college town in the state of Oklahoma. This is where Cameron University is. This is probably the first time you've ever heard of it. How does Norman, Oklahoma, home of the University of Oklahoma, not make that? Because they are within that 250,000 and under range in terms of the overall population. So they've got that going for them. Yale makes sense. Clemson University, South South Carolina, Clemson gets that one. That's easy. T-Town, obviously, Knoxville, duh. Those all seem like they make a lot of sense. I mean, you look up and down this lineup, I could say Texas, College Station, that makes sense. Gainesville makes sense. Chapel Hill, Athens, a lot of these make sense. Fayetteville makes sense. There's probably one or two that you can just look at and be like, really, that's the route you're going to go? And when you look at, say, Louisiana, this is where I disagree with this the most. Hey, if you want to jump in on the conversation, 337-706-0111. I don't mind opening this up for a little bit of debate at this point. But it blows my mind that this is where we're standing on this. You have Metairie, Louisiana, as the best college town in the state of Louisiana. And they're obviously going to use a reference point of the University of New Orleans. Okay, to me, and you know, I can be completely wrong in my thoughts on this, but Metairie is a 13-minute drive from New Orleans. That feels like it's cheating, to be honest with you. I feel like Metairie 
is just as much a part of New Orleans to me. And, you know, I could be completely off base on this statement. But, again, 13-minute drive from Metairie to New Orleans, Louisiana, that's pretty darn close. And that feels, again, feels like cheating to me. A lot of that has to do with the fact that we're just talking about the fact that, and this is maybe a little bit of personal bias here, maybe just a little bit, but you got to think about it. I think the Lafayette, Louisiana could be one of those. Even Baton Rouge, Louisiana falls underneath that 250,000 population marker according to the latest census reports. Again, they could probably have considered a lot of the metro areas surrounding it as a lot of people who commute there and whatnot. You just look at the labor, you look at all the data that's out there. I could probably say right here, right now, that Baton Rouge deserves a little bit more love in this poll because it's just how do you not have Baton Rouge in that list? Again, to me, Putting Metairie in that list, it felt like it was way too easy, and they they chickened out on that one. Again, I could be completely wrong on a lot of this stuff. I look up and down the all 50 states. A lot of these make sense, like Lexington, Kentucky, Blacksburg, Virginia. A, a lot of this makes sense. Iowa City, Madison, Wisconsin, Ann Arbor, Corvallis. A lot of these areas I can see and be like, okay, this makes sense. Lawton. And Metairie, those two I don't understand, especially Lawton, Oklahoma, because I didn't know that was a city until last night when I saw this. And it blew my mind, and of course there were some people who had takes about it. I have nothing against it. I thought it was just good to have that kind of dialogue. And this came from somebody on Twitter, at Cajun Change on Twitter, brought this up to me about saying, very easy, dead bar scene downtown, dead bar scene within its city limits. I'm with that. I'm I'm okay with that. I can get behind that point of view, but it's not all about bars. It's not like, oh, hey, like what was what's the best bar life in the state in the state of Louisiana? Obviously, you'd go Baton Rouge in terms of a college vibe. That's where you go. That's pretty much the top dog. And there's nothing inherently wrong about that. There's nothing wrong with the state of Louisiana and Baton Rouge being associated with the best college bar in the state. But it feels like to me that choosing Metairie, Louisiana, the University of New Orleans, it feels a little cheap to go that route. Again, Lafayette, Louisiana, 126,000 population. Could it be better? Of course, it could be a lot better. But I think that I can say right here, right now, when you just look at some of the reviews of the university as a whole, to me, Lafayette is a college town, as opposed to maybe, maybe Metairie. And again, I'm just thinking about it because Metairie is so darn close to New Orleans. It feels like, to me, they're all melded together. I could be, I, I'll say it again, I could be completely off base with this. But the fact that we're seeing Metairie over Lafayette, hell, even LSU, if you want to go that route. Because again, you have a lot of these schools are SEC, ACC powers. You got, again, University of Florida, Alabama, Athens, Georgia, Clemson. Chapel Hill, North Carolina, notable programs, Fayetteville, College Station, Knoxville. The list goes on and on. I'm kind of surprised with College Station, but it makes sense because it's got college in the name, right? And I, off the top of head, I don't know exactly how big the population of Austin, Texas is. But I feel like Austin, Texas, just based off of the archetype of it, it is designed as a college town. 
I can understand a lot of these, like Ithaca. That makes sense because, again, that's a notable Ivy League school. That is a college town built around it. The fact that you got Metairie, Louisiana, whatever you could have, it felt like you could have gone a little bit differently in terms of who goes where, where things kind of rank in their mind. And seeing, like, some of these schools, immediately you think about those schools. When you hear Metairie, Metairie, Louisiana versus, let's say, Tuscaloosa, Athens, Clemson, Chapel Hill, Fayetteville, Iowa City, Champaign-Urbana. What do you think about when you hear Champaign-Urbana? That is Illinois. You know where that's at. Metairie, you have to literally hit the Google machine and figure out what schools, what colleges are in Metairie. And thankfully, you know, again, this list actually told us the University of New Orleans was the one they're using as a reference tool. Don't get me wrong, UNO is a, a fine institution. It feels like to me that they didn't necessarily do all the homework on this project. I liked it, but not necessarily the best work I've seen as of late. So let me know what you think. And of course, we got a guest coming up in the next segment. So kind of formulate your take. I'll give you some time to kind of let that thing formulate. And you can join in on the program later on in the show. Because trust me, we got some spots for you. 10.30 in just a few minutes. I'm going to call Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. We'll talk some college football, big top 10 matchups, big top 25 matchups to talk about this week. And maybe just maybe we'll talk a little bit about that game two weeks down the road. And then you have at 11.30, Ross Jackson, all Saints considered, talking New Orleans Saints as they get ready for the Cardinals. Is Drew Brees going to start? We'll talk to him about that and a whole lot more. And then at 12 o'clock, I'm bringing on an old friend to the program. And that is Blaine Henry. We're talking about the UFC, big news about Nate Diaz, a whole lot of other things going on with the UFC. And then we also are going to talk a little bit about the World Boxing Super Series final tonight featuring a Louisiana product in Regis Progray, the big fight tonight to determine who wins the Ali Trophy. Really cool stuff coming up later on in the show. Again, this shows a supersized edition, so keep it locked right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. We'll be back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Every time C.D. takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with C.D. on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with C.D. on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. And 1037thegame.com. And it's a wonderful Saturday afternoon. Getting ready to be a big, as some of the people over at Fox like to call it, a big noon Saturday. Emphasis on that. Just want to make sure it doesn't sound like something else. Like maybe you've heard over on Fox during the games when they call it the big noon Saturday. And trust me, there's a lot of things going on at noon. But more importantly, one game going down at 2.30. We'll talk about that in a whole lot more Right now, weather guy on the Arco Equipment Hotline, that is Steve Lassen, Athlon Sports. A lot of college football talk to get down to on this October 26th. Steve, what's going on, brother? 
Hey, Clint. Happy Saturday. Happy game day. I'm looking forward to today. We've got a lot of good games, and uh, most importantly, we're hitting that November uh, stretch, which means the season is almost over, and there are a lot of big games to come. There's a lot of big games to come, and today is no different, especially when you look at the 11 a.m. games. We'll kind of break them down one by one here. But Wisconsin-Ohio State, undoubtedly one that could be absolutely huge in terms of the resume of the Big Ten Wisconsin taking a tough loss last weekend. Now they can be preparing for the Buckeyes, who have definitely been on a roll, really showing that there's been no slowing down post-Urban Meyer. What do you say about this matchup and how much motivation there's going to be for Wisconsin to try and pull off this big upset to become an agent of chaos? Yeah, last week um, Wisconsin lost at Illinois, a very winnable game for the Badgers. I mean, they were in control, and then in the second half they stumbled. A couple turnovers, a missed field goal led Illinois back into the game. And that kind of that loss took away a little bit of luster from this matchup. On paper, you know, coming into last week's games, it was going to be a, a top 10 showdown. It's still a potential preview of the Big Ten championship game. But I think what last week's loss showed, Wisconsin is still very vulnerable if you can slow down the running game and you can make them throw. And I think looking at this matchup, it's really hard to see Wisconsin being able to get enough consistent production out of Jonathan Taylor. And Wisconsin's defense, as good as it is, it's going to have its hands full trying to slow down Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins for four quarters. So I think last week's loss showed us Wisconsin is not quite in Ohio State's tier. Ohio State is one of the best three or four teams in the country. And I think even though Wisconsin can keep it close early on with their defense, I think Ohio State just too much, too much balance. I think they pull away in the second half. I'd have to agree with that. I think this is going to be a lopsided affair, especially once things flip over to the second half. But another 11 a.m. game, and I just want to get your thoughts on this when it comes to Appalachian State, currently ranked 21st. They'll be taking on a pop-on South Alabama program, and you got to think that you know we look at App State currently ranked twenty-first. Only one other really tough game to kind of get over in South Carolina. How much higher can App State move up in this top in these top twenty-five rankings in your mind? It's a good question. I think they can be the top group of five team at the end of the season, especially if they beat South Carolina. Um, you know, they also have to play Troy later in the season too. So there, there are a couple of potential problem spots, not to mention uh, the rematch against the Cajuns potentially in, in the Sunbelt championship game. I, I think thinking about where App, App State is right now, Boise State just lost to BYU and B, Boise State still has to play Utah State. They should, they could have to play San Diego State in the Mountain West championship. And then when you look at the American, the American might almost have too many good teams. As, as It's great that the American has Cincinnati and SMU um, and all that. They may beat each other up. So I think in that scenario, if Appalachian State beats South Carolina, wins out, the American beats up on itself, maybe Boise stumbles, um, I think they're going to be in position. So, you know, I've got them right there, I think right around 21 or 22 this week as well. I think if they keep winning, they can get to that top 15 uh, type of range, and certainly they are a threat to be the top group of five team when we decide the New Year's Six Bowls in December. I think that's going to be something we all keep an eye on over the next few weeks, especially as a Cajun-related uh, Cajun thing. We're going to kind of look at that one a little bit further down the line. 
But now we got to talk about what's causing all this, especially in the Acadia area, is what's going on at 2.30, LSU-Auburn on CBS, the bright lights. We saw what happened last time LSU and Auburn faced off. It's always been a wacky game, and I was talking with one of our other members of the station, and I was talking about this, the fact that, you know, to me it feels like this could be one of those games where things go according to plan. Do you see that? Do you see it being a typical LSU game as we've seen over the last several weeks, or is this going to continue to be another wacky LSU-Auburn game? Because you look at the history of it, it's always been wild. Yeah, it, it really has. But I think uh, the, looking at these two teams this season, um, I, I would be surprised if Auburn won or kept it with you know in a, kind of a three-point game or so. I think LSU should be able to control this game. I mean, certainly I think if you're LSU – you're a little bit maybe concerned or interested to see how the offensive line handles Auburn's defensive front, which is arguably the, one of the best defensive lines in the nation. Derek Brown and, and Marlon Davidson, uh, the two players for Auburn up front, have been creating havoc all season. And it's a little bit different of a challenge than the one that LSU played against Florida, you know, with Grenard and, and Zuniga they were much better coming off the edge and, and certainly Auburn's going to be able to create some interior pressure. So I am interested to see how LSU handles that. That being said, Auburn's offense is very much predicated on getting the running game going. They lead the SEC in rushing. If LSU can slow that down, I like the matchup of LSU's corners against Auburn's receivers. I think with Fulton and Stingley on the outside, those big plays that Auburn wants to hit, I think they're going to have a hard time hitting those. And Bo Nix is getting better, but this is a tough road environment. We saw him struggle against Florida. LSU's home field is even better. So I think on paper, LSU should be able to control this game. They may not win by 20 points, but I think they'll be in control kind of from start to finish. Talk right now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. And again, this is a big week of college football games on tap. I think one of them also going on at 2.30 is something just to keep an eye on. We brought up the Big Ten earlier. We'll bring it back to them in a little bit. But more importantly, when you look at Penn State, Michigan State, we talked about it with Ohio State. With Penn State, they're on a roll right now. Can they keep that momentum going? Then we lead up towards a couple weeks from now. When Penn State and Ohio State face off, this could be one game to kind of determine who punches a ticket to the CFP or a Big Ten title game. Absolutely. Yeah, I think if you're Penn State, you have to be a little bit nervous going on the road to play Michigan State. You know, Michigan State has been kind of a thorn in Penn State's side in recent years. Um, And not to mention, I think one of the kind of, uh, you know, quirky stats about Penn State They've been outgained by Iowa and Michigan and still found a way to win. That's a good sign, but I also think that Penn State at some point is going to need more production out of that offense. They hit some big plays last week. They need more efficiency. So I will be interested to see how that group handles a very good Michigan State defense on the road. So it is one of those trap game scenarios when Penn State's coming off a big win, Michigan State had a bye week, but I still think Penn State, the way this defense is playing, it's hard to see Michigan State's offense being able to generate enough. So I like Penn State, and I think they get to that Ohio State game undefeated. 
Now, this isn't a marquee matchup by any means, Steve, but we need to kind of talk about it when it comes to the Alabama-Arkansas game. A lot of intrigue now that you've got um, Tua Tungavialoa out for this game due to an ankle injury he suffered last weekend. And now you've got Mac Jones taking over as a starting QB. What can you say about the Alabama team without a guy like Tua Tungavialoa in there, at least for this week? We'll, 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 get, we'll cross the bridge when we get to it about LSU-Bama in a little bit. But just in this game in particular, what are the kind of the things you're going to have to deal with with Mac Jones taking calls in the center? You know, I think he is a much more kind of traditional Alabama quarterback that you're used to seeing. You know, he reminds me a lot of the Greg McElroys, um, you know, John Parker Wilson kind of, you know, essentially. You know, he's much more of a kind of a drop-back passer. I don't, I, I'm curious to see how he handles Alabama's RPO offense because Tua is so good at executing that. You see the big plays they hit off of the, the slants on the RPO. So I think you will see Alabama kind of get back to playing more to their running game today. They will lean on their defense, even though it's not as good as it was. I think Mac Jones will play well tonight just because he has a full week to work as the starter. He may not put up huge numbers, but Alabama is going to have to get him some pretty live reps today. They're going to have to let him throw it because they may need him in two weeks. So I think he will play well. He's worked as a starter. The supporting cast is solid. And Arkansas is struggling right now. So I think you'll see Mac Jones will throw it. I think you'll see Najee Harris have a big game. And I think Alabama will win comfortably. I I would be surprised if this one is close, even without Tua. Talking right now with Steve Lassen of Athlon Sports. And you brought it up in two weeks from now, maybe Mac Jones could be the starter. What's the likelihood in your mind of Tua Tungavialoa returning to action? He had a surgery, a lot similar to what we saw with Cam Robinson when he – had that surgery prior to that LSU game. Do you see Tua Tungavialoa being healthy and ready to go in two weeks' time for that big game against LSU? That is the $5 million question. Um, I think he will play just simply because Alabama was pretty optimistic earlier this week, and Nick Saban hinted that the injury was not as bad as the one he suffered last season before um, the Orange Bowl against Georgia in the SEC championship game. He has about 20 days from injury until kickoff against LSU. And if the timetable of about two weeks is right to be able to be moving around enough, I think he'll play. Now, whether or not he's 100%, I think remains to be seen. I think if you're Alabama, you have to be worried that this is the second year in a row he's had an ankle injury. And if, uh, he, he's not the, the Jalen Hurts mobile type, but he does like to slide around in the pocket a lot. And if a quarterback is not able to move around effectively, if LSU can get a pass rush, that's going to be something to watch. So I think he will play, but I think the question is, is he 75%? Is he 100%? Um, you know, I, I think we'll find out a lot more at the end of next week. But I would be really surprised if Alabama does not have Tua uh, in a couple weeks. I think that would be a shock to everybody if Tua Tungavilua is not there. But we'll flip it over to one more game. And this is probably one of the more notable ones outside of the SEC footprint. And we might as well wrap up the trifecta of a Big Ten matchup. When you look at the Michigan Wolverines and the Golden Domers of Notre Dame, which way do you see this game going? Because this one could be a very tough one. 
It, it is really tough. I mean, it, it's definitely got toss-up written all over it. Um, Michigan played well in the second half last week against Penn State, and you saw the offense start to come together. But I think it's, it, it, this is going to be a different challenge, certainly coming back to play good Notre Dame defense, especially one that likes to get after the quarterback, much like Penn State does. So, you know, I think the question is, can Michigan State or Michigan, can they replicate that offense in the second half and carry it over? Whichever team gets after the quarterback better, whichever team gets more out of their quarterback, it's, it's kind of simple. But Shea Patterson and Ian Book mean so much to these offenses. Which one has the better game tonight? So I like Notre Dame. Um, almost just kind of a hunch that Notre Dame coming off the bye week, Michigan coming off the emotional close loss to Penn State, just a hunch to take Notre Dame, even though the game is in Ann Arbor. It should be a close one and, and probably one of the better games of the day. Steve, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Clint, it sounds great. Enjoy the games today. Oh, I definitely will, Steve. Hopefully you do as well. You can follow that guy on Twitter, at Athlon Steven, if you want to know about the latest goings on in the world of college football because the man knows what he's talking about great to have him on each and every week throughout the football season i'm gonna take a quick commercial break and when we come back we got a lot more to get to including what happened last night between the houston astros and the washington nationals we'll talk about that next on acadiana sports station 1037 the game and 1037 the game.com From the preps, I gave it a uh, a ten, a ten to the pros, and everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, one zero three seven. The game. Grinky comes set, three infielders on the right. The pitch, swing and a miss. Got him on a curveball, and Grinky. Strands the bases loaded in the third inning and keeps the Astros up two to nothing as we go to the top of the fourth inning. And what a game it was last night for the Astros. Do or die game number three. Of course, they weren't one game away from elimination. But if you lost that game last night, odds are it was going to be sweep city. So they've avoided the sweep so far. Going to be forcing game five on Sunday. So, hey, you'll hear all the action right here on 103.7 The Game. For all that, trust me, I said it on Jordy's show on Wednesday. You do not want to touch this dial for the entire weekend. Why? Here's why. Number one, you've got LSU 1230 pregame, 230 kickoff right here on Acadiana Sports Station. Then, after that's done, you've got the Houston Astros baseball game. That'll be right here on 103.7 The Game. You got that right. And then Sunday, 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 you've got your afternoon games right here on 103.7 The Game for the NFL. And then the Astros will take over starting at 6. That's how we're rolling here. We're rolling big time on a Saturday. And I'm looking forward to breaking it all down with you. But Game 4, Game 3, excuse me, was absolutely huge. You saw... The Astros get things done, not just offensively, but defensively as well, stranding runners, and more importantly, stopping the Nationals from getting runs whenever they were in scoring position. 0 for 10 in terms of risk. The only only run they had was off of an RBI triple 
which was a really well-hit one that just missed the glove of Alex Bregman. But still, they lost 4-1. to one. And Juan Soto was very much like almost amateur hour type thing. Some of those throws were a little less than ideal, but still a huge win for the Astros. 4-1 win to cut the series down to 2-1. So I'm looking forward to watching the game later on tonight. Game four, but interestingly enough, A.J. Hinch already has his game plan out there. It's a bullpen game four. Every World Series game is a bullpen game. I mean, at some point, so I, but it feels like it. But Jose Arquiti will start, and and he can he can go as long as he's good. You know, I don't have a, necessarily a, a predetermined plan on how many innings, how many pitches. Like I said, it's game four of the World Series. It's game four of the World Series, and Arquiti has definitely earned himself a little bit more rope. Expectations for me, I'd probably say five innings at the most for him because then you would hope you have a bridge guy ready to roll because Trill Harris looked really, really good last night. But I want to give him kind of the night off. I want him to be able to take it easy because he pitched one and two-thirds innings in Friday night's victory was a big part of that. Obviously, Roberto Osuna helped get the save. And boy, oh boy, Washington hates that cat as much as I hate Baby Shark which is why I really want the Nationals to just lose every game inside Nationals Park. I just want that to happen in my life because I am sick and tired of the baby shark stuff, okay? Maybe it's it's dumb, it's hokey, it's ridiculous. It's almost as bad as hearing Sweet Caroline every single game in the eighth inning. Yes, you heard me right. Just saying. But on on the other side of things, A.J. Hinch, put it simply, they've got to win four games to get this to take it back, as they say. This World Series, these are two really, really talented teams, really good teams, really driven teams, To and it takes four wins, and no one's got it yet. No one's got it yet, but I think the Astros have a chance to do so. They just have to step their game up when it matters most. And I think the bullpen game four is going to be huge up against a guy like Patrick Corbin. Yes, you're right. Patrick Corbin is going to give the start for the Nats, 14-7 and seven on the year with a 3.25 ERA is going to be on the bump for the Nats. I think that's absolutely huge because you saw what he did in game one. He's got plenty of rest. He doesn't. He's probably going to wind up, playing, wind up pitching a good chunk of that unless the Astros gang up on him. And that hasn't been shown that much in the offense. The postseason offense for the Astros has kind of been like not lights out. Just They haven't paid the electric bill, basically. It's been a less than ideal start to the, to the postseason for them. And now, when it matters the most in an NL park, I think they can continue. They need to continue to do what they did last night. It wasn't necessarily pretty. You didn't see them absolutely crush baseballs left and right, but they did one thing, and that was very important. And what was that? It was the fact they were able just to get guys on the ducks on the pond, and then you get runs. They manufactured a lot of those runs. They were 4-for-10 with runners in scoring positions. All four of those runs came off of that end. More importantly, you had a big solo shot from Robinson Chirinos to really seal the deal, cut that lead down to 2-1 instead of being down 3-love. Because if you're down 3-love, that is pretty much a death sentence if there ever was one. Hour number one in the books. We've got hour number two coming up next, and we've got a lot of things to kind of get to. Obviously, we'll give you an idea of what's on tap this weekend. I'll talk a little LSU-Auburn a little bit earlier than usual. Cage is on the bye, so I have time to kind of dive into 
what's going on. LSU-Auburn, a preview of that. We've got our guy Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked on Saints podcast, talking Saints-Cardinals. Will Drew Brees play or won't he? We will talk to him about that and a whole lot more. Blaine Henry, don't forget, when we get supersized in the final half hour, we got him on to talk a little bit about the world of boxing, MMA, maybe just maybe what's, what the hell is going on. Why are boxers and MMA fighters on my TV in WWE? We'll figure that out as well. We're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break, be back with a whole lot more. You're listening to Under the Dome right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 1037 The Game. And welcome everyone to the Must Listen To Saturday Morning Sports Talk Show in Acadiana. That is Under the Dome with CD live as always from the 237 Roof Studios right here. In Upper Lafayette, Louisiana. Hopefully, you're having a great one so far. And again, 237 Roof Studios from the roof to the roots of Acadia. These folks have you covered. Just call 237 Roof, 237 7663. But the Arco Equipment Hotline, it's right there, open for the taking. 337 We'll get to that hotline open up for the next half hour. Then at 1130, we'll have our guy at Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered. Locked on Saints podcast, talking a little bit about what's going on with the New Orleans Saints, the, the big decision that they have to make coming up. And I'm looking forward to talking about that and a whole lot more on the program. I'm looking, I'm just, I'm in general just looking forward to this, this weekend. This is probably one of the best weekends in all of sports. I think, second only, obviously, to the Kentucky Derby weekend, because that is absolutely a fantastic weekend, not just for. Like your regular sports, like baseball, you've got horse racing, you've got boxing, you've got a lot of marquee things going on in the world of sports on that weekend. And the fact that most weekends falls on my birthday, so that's really cool too. But that's a different conversation for a different day. But now, we're going to give you an idea of what's coming up this weekend and what's on tap that you need to check out. The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a bar stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. All right, we start things off, obviously, with what's going on in the world of college football. It's going on right now. In fact, they're just getting started with a lot of these ball games. Wisconsin, Ohio State, that one is something that you just need to be interested in because that's a potential game that could wind up having a lot of chaos, a lot of implications for the Big Ten in the college football playoff. It's absolutely huge. I'm looking forward to having that. That's going on in the background right now. Wisconsin, it's like they're already jumping around before the fourth quarter. Oh, never mind, they're in the shoes. Let me kind of correct that. They're doing a little jumping around, getting hyped up before kickoff. It gets underway. 
I've got it behind me, so I'm not necessarily going to give you the play-by-play, but I'll give you an idea of what's going on in between those breaks. But i got a lot of fun things to talk about as well. It's on tap, obviously. The top 10 matchup, Auburn-LSU. Most people are already out in BR, enjoying themselves and, and getting ready to enjoy some good old-fashioned college football in Tiger Stadium. I know I wish I was in that number because, hey, this is a big top 10 matchup and could be a big landmine for the LSU Tigers if they're not up on their P's and Q's. It's a must-win game for them. I think every game is. If they want to wind up living up to their expectations of, as our promo says, college football playoff or bust. This is a huge year for Ed Ogeron. And you see what he's done with the recruits. He's gotten things done. Auburn LSU is absolutely crucial towards the success of the season. You need to win this one. and you need to, I, th- I feel like they need to win big as well because I feel like now, not only if you're LSU, not only do you have to worry about the expectations of the entire team, now we're sitting here talking about the just expectations in general for Joe Burrow. Now that he is a clear Heisman frontrunner alongside Jalen Hurts, I think the biggest concern now is what's going to happen with Auburn and LSU. Can Joe Burrow continue to dominate? Me and Ben talked about it yesterday, the over-under on him, 350 yards passing. If he can do that, maybe a little bit more add to that resume, again, he'd want to throw in four touchdowns, be named SEC Offensive Player of the Week for the umpteenth time. It's going to become the Joe Burrow Award. That's all I'm going to say. I feel like that game is going to tell you a lot. And then you got the bye week to get healthy again. More importantly, um, somebody talk to all the linebackers to make sure they don't wind up getting injured or get ejected for targeting in the second half. Make sure nobody targets in the second half, or at all for that matter. Make sure nobody does anything relatively close to that because you don't want the whole conspiracy theories to continue to pop up heading into that big game in T-Town in just a couple weeks' time. That's be a 2-30 game. You heard me right, 2-30 that's what time that game goes down, and hopefully we see a heck of a ball game in two weeks' time in T-Town, and of course other games of note. I think Penn State, Michigan is going to be Michigan State, excuse me, Michigan, Notre Dame. Those are the two matchups to look at. Is again, I was talking with Steve about it. I didn't get to ask him this. Probably talk to him about it next week if everything kind of holds chalk. We see Ohio State win, Penn State win, and Michigan win. What happens now? Where does like do we see two Big Ten teams and two SEC teams in, or does Clemson slide it? Like, how do you figure that out if you're the college football playoff committee? And you've got potentially two undefeated teams getting ready to face off in Ohio State and Penn State because a couple weeks from now, if they're both undefeated at that point in time, things could be a wild and wooly start to the 2019 season for those programs. Just gonna look forward to seeing what's going on from that aspect. And then, of course, we got to talk about what's going on Sunday. Saints-Cardinals, a game where there's just a lot of like uncertainty. And it's weird to say that about the Saints, uncertainty. And it's more about what happens with Drew Brees. Does he get the start? Or is he want to kind of sitting on the sidelines? And what's also weird about this, this is something I've always just had a weird like inkling about. It's a CBS game. It's two NFC teams, and it's an it's a CBS game. 2019 is a weird time, and I want to get off because I, I just feel like this is a tangent that I really want to get into is why are we continuing to see NFC games on CBS? 
NFC is Fox. CBS is AFC games. Keep those. Don't let it intertwine because it just it, or coagulate, if you will. But again, does Drew Brees start or does Teddy? It's going to be the debate everybody has for months to come. And for me, Teddy Bridgewater will should be starting. But I feel like somehow, someway, Drew Brees is going to tell Sean Payton, start me. Start me now. Heading into that bye week. That way he can get some work in. And it won't be garbage time because that's not how Drew Brees rolls. He is going to play from start to finish of that ball game. And if he does, I think this Saints are going to wind up rolling past the Arizona Cardinals defense. Because, again, Drew Brees has shown he can make a lot out of a little. And without Alvin Kamara, without Jared Cook, it'll be Drew Brees' game and a return to form for him. You'll see Michael Thomas get some run. You'll see Ted Ginn get some run. You'll see Josh Hill maybe make a couple catches. I think we can say right here, right now, it's not the best lineup in the world, but you'll be seeing a lot of that. Latavius Murray needs to be more of the Mark Ingram type that we think of him as. He does that. Things are going to be looking pretty darn good for the New Orleans Saints heading into the bye week. Currently 6-1, and one, have every, every chance of being 7-1 and one, heading into a bye week. That is ample time to kind of set yourself up for a lot of success in the second half of the season and possibly lock, your, lock yourself down a top two seed in the NFC. You do that. I think the Saints have every chance to get things done, but of course, you have to get past that bugaboo that is the San Francisco 49ers, and that game is looming not too far down the line. Don't forget that. That game is going to happen pretty darn soon, towards the end of the season, obviously, but it's still something to think about. And of course, the other thing everybody's talking about is what's going on with the World Series Game 4 tonight. Game 5, is necessary. That'll wind up going down on Sunday. Can the Astros win one of those next two games to bring the series back to Houston? Fun fact, through three games, no home team, neither home team has won a game in the World Series. The streak of nine straight wins for the Nats wearing those Navy unis is over, so they have to kind of change up their entire attire for the world, for the rest of the World Series. Probably go back to some default stuff, and that'll be fun to see what happens there. The Astros need to get it done tonight. I think they have to have to have an opportunity to do this because I think you start game five and game six, you've got a really interesting opportunity to set yourself up for a lot of success because you win tonight, you don't necessarily have to worry about game number five with, I believe, Max Scherzer is going to be on the bump. I haven't seen any confirmation about that, but you would think game five would be the game, win or lose, Max Scherzer is going to start and then odds are you see you see Garrett Cole Bebe get a start on Sunday. Honestly, personally, this is just personal pre- preference here. What I would love to see is you see the Washington Nationals start Max Scherzer tomorrow. And the Astros decide to switch up their lineup just a tad bit. Because, of course, Verlander will have that time to kind of rest up. You flip that lineup. You flip that rotation on its head. Justin Verlander starts Sunday. Garrett Cole will start Tuesday. Zach Greinke will start Wednesday. That's how I'd want it. I'll tell you why. Because I'd much rather have Garrett Cole coming back from Houston, coming back from Washington, D.C., back to H-Town for that game six. Especially if you win the next two games. 
And Justin Verlander gives you every opportunity to win another game. This bullpen game tonight is the one that's the most in flux because of the fact that we've seen that maybe bullpen games will vary. I mean, we saw what happened last Sunday whenever the Astros went all out on the bullpen. And that game wound up going down to the bottom of the ninth. And a Jose Altuve home run wound up being the difference. You have to wind up winning this ball game tonight to set yourself up for a lot of success. If you win on Sunday night along with that Saturday game, you're one win away now from taking the whole bleeping thing again. You take it back, and I'd much rather you take it back with a guy like Garrett Cole, baby, on game six rather than Justin Verlander. And I think it's the fact that Garrett Cole is definitely a little miffed, a little P.O., teed off. He's ready to go off and have that spin rate working at the fullest level. He knows that he's probably going to be the Cy Young winner right here, right now, just because of all the counting stats he has. Look at the number of strikeouts he's had over the course of the season, the long streak of 10 strikeout games. The man has been phenomenal. It's a, you can make a strong case for both Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole, but I feel like Cole is going to put a little stamp on this series and can very well stamp things out in game six. I feel like the biggest thing of it all, though, is the offense. The Astros' offense has to be consistent over these next two games. You don't do that, it's not going to look very good at all for you if you're the Houston Astros. You need to wind up building up that offense and realizing, hey, I do whatever you have to do. Break out Joe Boo. I say everybody who's, on the, who's in the starting lineup, sleep with the bats. Make sure you can get those bats awakened. Because if you do that in an NL park in Washington, D.C. and shut them down early in terms of the crowd noise, you want to take control of this series right away and bring it back to H-Town and have Garrett Cole just sitting there waiting for his opportunity. And he wins, they take it back. I said yesterday it was going to be an uphill climb right here, right now. I'm feeling pretty darn good about changing it. I'm a cha- I don't mind changing my POV on things. And this one, I am changing my mind on. The Astros have a chance to win the World Series. I think it went up significantly because of the way they won last night. And now you're getting ready. You're building it up towards. And I know you want to see Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke. I say flip the switch because guess what? When did Justin Verlander pitch last? That's right. He pitched in game two. It's game two. He has plenty of time to have that rest. He's got the day off in between Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's at least four days rest. Let the man pitch. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 thegamecom We'll talk a little LSU Tigers next right here on 103.7 The Game. So make sure you call us up on the Arco Equipment Hotline, 337-706-0111. Back after this. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game.
Welcome back to Under the Dome right here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com live from the 237 Roof Studios. Hopefully you're having a great Saturday afternoon and it is just absolutely fantastic. Whether it's definitely hashtag football slash hashtag gumbo hashtag sweater weather. That's how we roll here on Acadiana Sports Station. I love the fact that it's a lot of different things for a lot of different people. For me, it's definitely hashtag football weather right about now after all the rain that we had we got a cool front coming through it is just uh, chef's kiss perfect to be out and about wherever you're at obviously a lot of people are going to be out in br enjoying themselves getting ready for a big big ball game top 10 matchup lsu auburn tiger stadium is ready for you and i think one of the big things for me is What's going to happen if LSU's up, let's say, like by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, especially late? To me, if you know me well enough, you know that I'm a proud Cajuns fan, but at the same time, I do like what I've seen from the from the LSU Tigers and their fan base for quite some time. And one thing in particular has definitely binded us all together as of late. And one of those things, it's a certain song, and thankfully I just have the audio of it. Not None of the chants, thank goodness, because I could air that. But I hope upon hope that this is the one thing that happens on a Saturday afternoon in Tiger Stadium, be around like 5, 6 o'clock, late fourth quarter, on national television. Like what we saw last year when LSU was beating Georgia like a drum, I hear this. I better hear this. I don't care. The fines, whatever it is, just play that thing. Play the song. Play Neck. I w- Let the band play Neck is going to be where the hill I'm going to die on, along with pineapples, don't belong on pizzas, and The Last Jedi was the best Star Wars movie. Those are the hills I am willing to die on. Let the band play Neck is probably something everybody else agrees with especially if you're up against Auburn big you do that this place is going to come unglued and we're talking about Tiger Stadium and then in two weeks time I say play it again against Alabama play the tune again and have that crowd that's going to be there because you know LSU is going to come in full effect especially with what's going with with what happened over the last couple years LSU feels like they're poised to have a big game especially if, if you know who isn't there, and we're talking about Tua Tunga-Vialoa come 2-30 on November the 9th. I think there's going to be an absolutely huge ball game, and I cannot wait to see what happens with LSU and Alabama. What happens there? Because that determines a lot, not just for the LSU Tigers and the college football playoff hopes, but at the same time it puts Alabama in a precarious position. Because if you lose that game then you have to hope upon hope that crazy things do happen in the Big Ten especially. The Big Ten especially, we talked about it earlier. Ohio State, Penn State, they're due for a collision course in a couple weeks' time the same day. This one hasn't been pinned down for a start time, but I believe this one could be a 
game scheduled. Actually, excuse me, let me kind of pull up the Penn State Ohio State game. Actually, this will be the penultimate game on November the twenty third. Excuse me. So, in a few weeks' time, you'll have on November twenty third the Penn State Ohio State game. You look at Penn State. We are they're playing Minnesota and Indiana. The next two ball games, you got a bye week next week. And then you get ready for that big one against Ohio State. Whoever wins that, especially if they're undefeated, you got to think that winds up helping out all parties. Ohio State, win or lose, Penn State, win or lose. That's going to help the resume and make the Big Ten look a whole lot better because those two teams are going to wind up cannibalizing each other. But you got to at least consider maybe, just maybe, something would happen and we'd put them in. You got to think about that. Ohio State, especially if it's a close ball game, you give the credit to them. Alabama, they they were without their star quarterback, hypothetically. That winds up giving them an edge. There's a lot of things going on. College football playoff implications are abound here. Do we see two SEC teams get in? Do we see two Big Ten teams getting in? Obviously, we won't, we won't see both because Clemson is going to get into that conversation one way or another, despite the fact that they've had some weird ball games. As long as Clemson keeps doing Clemson things, and we're talking about the modern Clemson things, not the old adage of Clemsoning, because that's not a thing anymore, because they won a national title. In fact, they won two with Dabo Swinney. And they've got every chance to do so, because look who they have the next like five games, final five games of the year. Boston College, Wofford, NC State. Yes, you heard right, Wofford. Wake Forest is the only ranked team they play in the ACC, that's a ranked 25th as of right now, Wake Forest program, and then wrap it up with the Battle of South Carolina, and Clemson will take on South Kakalaka. And that one sets things up, interestingly enough, to say, hey, they're going to want to roll through the ACC with relative ease. There's nobody out there that's really going to wind up giving them a whole lot of hell. I think even Wake Forest, they're a 25th ranked team. I think they drop back down in those rankings it's just always going to be something to keep an eye on over the next several weeks of the season. I feel like right here, right now, if I were to do it, the college football playoff today, before all the games started, if the college football playoff were today, there were no other games on the docket. For me, I'd go Ohio State, that'd probably be the number three team. The number two team, LSU, number one, Alabama, and number four, we got to go Clemson. We have to go Clemson is they'd be the ACC champions in terms of my hypothetical standings. I think they, that's where they land. That's the four teams I have. It seems relatively easy to go that route. I'd probably even put LSU number one over Alabama simply because of losing to Otunga Viloa when you did. That'll drop you in the rankings, at least in my mind. We'll take a go- quick commercial break, and when we come back, we'll talk with a guy, Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, Locked on Saints podcast about What's actually causing all this with the Saints? Does Drew Brees start? Does he not? We'll talk to him about it next, right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Ooh, 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 ooh. 
Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com live from the 237 Roof Studios. And we'll flip on over, of course. we got to keep the tradition alive. I mean, the Saints are 6-1 and one on the year. We have this guy on the Arco Equipment Hotline. That is our good brother, Ross Jackson. Ross, what's going on, my man? Oh, man, I'm doing great, doing great, getting ready for this action this weekend. LSU and the Saints going to be off, both of them, next week, so I'm trying to enjoy what I can get this week. <laughs> exactly, and get it in while you can fit it in, Ross, and trust me, there's a lot of things to talk about. Obviously, we'll we'll take a step back and look back at the Chicago game last week without Ivan Kamara, without Jared Cook. The Saints looked unstoppable against the Chicago Bears. What can you say about the, the overall performance of the team and what part of the field stood out to you the most? Yeah, um, I mean, I think in terms of the overall performance, it was just one of those yet another unprecedented wins for the Saints. I I did not expect the Saints offense to – I definitely saw the Saints being able to win this game because of what their defense was going to be able to do against the Bears' offense, which is mostly depleted. Uh, But I was not expecting the Saints' offense to – function at that high a level against one of the best defenses in the league. So that's one of the things that stood out for me in particular was just watching Teddy Bridgewater and that offensive line, which is probably the big position group that stood out the most to me and the biggest element in that game that stood out the most to me is we've now seen this offensive line do and, and produce just fantastic games against some of the best pass rushers in the NFL. J.J. Watt, now Khalil Mack, you can throw Jadavian Clowney in there. Shaquille Barrett looked like an absolute monster for the first part of the season until he came to New Orleans and had to play against the Saints offensive line. And so I credit the offensive line a lot, as well as on the opposite side over on the defense. I continue to credit that defensive line because of the amount of pressure that they're able to get on the quarterback. Cam Jordan walked away with two sacks in this game. The Saints are now 15-2 and two when he gets two, two sacks or more in a game. So, I mean, I, I just look at the trenches for this team, and, and you can see quickly how their success translates to the success of, uh, of both sides of the ball, including the run game, which we saw a good portion of on uh, Sunday's game. Exactly. I mean, just the offensive performance all the way around. But how about that defensive performance where they were able to just keep Mitch Trubisky and company like down to bare minimum yardage outside of, a, I mean, obviously that 100-yard kick return, which made me think that Devin Hester was back in the league for a hot minute. <laughs> and then you had the, a real garbage-time touchdown. What do you say about the defensive performance from what you saw last week and just how huge that was. Yeah, I mean, I think the defense was incredible. I mean, a full game, all 60 minutes, only allowing 17 rushing yards. Don't get me wrong. The Bears did not lean on their run game at all. I think they ran seven times in this game, but then they tried to throw 54 out of the 65 total drives that they played. I'm sorry, 60, uh, 54 out of the 65 total plays that they had on offense. Uh, and look, the Saints defense locked them down for the first three quarters, which we've seen pretty often so far this season. And then just sort of like you mentioned, those garbage time yards and touchdowns coming at the end when the game is too far out of reach. The Saints have been so comfortably out of reach that late in games within the last four minutes of the game that they've actually been outscored around I think it's forty two to three or forty two to six in the last four minutes of games this season and are still six and one. That's how far that offense has been able to distance themselves because of the play of the defense early in games. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, all Saints considered in the Locked On Saints podcast. Now let's flip things over and move ahead to this week's game. I think obviously the million dollar question is do you expect to see Drew Brees play tomorrow afternoon? 
Uh, at this point, I'm pretty prepared for it. I mean, he look. I mean, he was limited all throughout practice, but he's still been at practice since before this week. He just wasn't participating in 11 on 11 drills, hence the DNP when it comes to his his participation. But he's been he was limited all throughout practice. But everything that we're hearing so far is that the ball's coming out with the right velocity. The spirals are tight. He's getting the ball out quickly. He's not feeling any pain. He's not feeling any discomfort. So it all just kind of comes down to if he feels like. He's throwing the ball that the way that he needs to throw the ball, and if he says he is, then you have to expect to see him tomorrow. And you know, the, I think of course we talk about the fact that there's a chance you wind up seeing Drew Brees out there. Do we see him? Because this is something we talked about. Do we see him be more of a garbage time guy, mop up time, to make sure he can stay 100 percent healthy heading into that bye week, or does he go the full four quarters like maybe most of us expect? Yeah, I mean, I would be perfectly comfortable with the idea of him just being kind of the garbage time guy late in the game and giving Teddy Bridgewater the start. And if the offense has enough of a lead and they're comfortable, then you just put you know Drew Brees in to kind of clean up the game. But if Drew Brees is active, he's going to play. And not only is he going to play, he's going to start. So I think that if he's ready to go, I think we'll see him for a full four quarters. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Consider Locked on Saints podcast. And, of course, there's another injury everybody's kind of talking about, and that is what's going on with Alvin Kamara. He was also listed as questionable. Do you expect him to be out there? Because, to me, I think you'd want to wind up sitting him heading into that bye week, make sure he's 100% healthy, heading into that big NFC South matchup in a couple weeks. And at the fact, you want to wind up seeing what exactly Latavius Murray can do on the ground and in terms of the air, in terms of the reception game. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I feel the same way about Drew Brees, too. I, I'm thinking Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara should be sitting out this week, take the bye week, get some rest, relaxation, and then come back against the Falcons at home uh, that following Sunday. But when it comes to Alvin Kamara, I, I don't think you need to rush him back in particular at all, especially against this defense. I mean, look, uh, Arizona has a great pair of pass rushers in Chandler Jones and Terrell Suggs. They call them the Strip Brothers. They've created uh, 10 fumbles so far this season amongst the two of them. So they've got a pair of good pass rushers, but they don't have the best run defense. I think they rank 25th in run defense, just over 130 yards per game allowed. And then, you know, you saw what Latavius Murray did on 27 carries, 119 yards and two touchdowns against a top five rated uh, running game, run defense. So you, there's no reason to rush Alvin Kamara back in this situation. You saw what Latavius Murray can do for you on the road against one of the better run defenses in the league. Now you're at home against one of the worst I think you just let Latavius Murray have another game and then see and continue to use these this this week as another opportunity to evaluate exactly what you have in Latavius Murray so you can understand a little bit better about what his share should be when Alvin Kamara does come back. And sticking with the Saints Cardinals matchup, talking right now with Ross Jackson, all Saints considered locked on Saints podcast. But my question to you is just the big matchup defensively and offensively is probably gonna be Michael Thomas, Patrick Peterson, what it can Mike actually be guarded? Because it seems like we've seen all year long it's been can't guard Mike since his career started pretty much, but can we see a guy like Patrick Peterson, former LSU Tiger, actually guard Mike? Yeah, I, I can't wait for that matchup, man. That's one of the one that's one of the matchups that I'm really, really looking forward to. You've got you you probably the best I think you can consider him right now pretty easily the best wide receiver in the NFL in Michael Thomas. He's leading the league right now in both catches and receiving yards. The guy that challenges him for receiving yards, Chris Godwin, has played one fewer game, so it is worth mentioning that. But he has completely distanced himself in terms of number one, in terms of reception. And so you've got the number one guy right now in the NFL in terms of wide receivers, and then you've got probably one of the best 
to ever play at the cornerback position with Patrick Peterson in the modern era. He's, uh, I mean, and he's such a huge add coming back to the Cardinals after serving that four-game suspension. We saw him close out the game last week against the New York Giants, not even in his defensive back play, but as a blitzer. So you see the, the speed, you see the power, you see the sort of versatility in his game. That's going to be a really fun matchup. I think, though, that Michael Thomas finds a way to win this matchup because over on his side, over what's going to be the weak side for the most part, the safety is over there. Deontay Thompson, the rookie, he's not going to be able to really be much of a factor in terms of bracket coverage. Michael Thomas is going to take advantage of that if they end up matching him up. The other part is going to be uh, Sean Payton game-planning Michael Thomas into the slot where he averages 3.55 yards per slot snap. So they've been putting him in there, and he's been effective there. That's going to end up moving him away from Patrick Peterson every now and then. So I think that – and when you look at the rest of the secondary and the rest of those corners, they've struggled mightily throughout this season. So I think you look for Michael Thomas to sort of get game-planned away from Patrick Peterson from time to time, and that's where Michael Thomas gets to take advantage of it. But I think that that matchup is an iron sharpens iron type of matchup, and we'll see who comes out on top because I think that matchup is just going to get better and better throughout the game. That's going to be absolutely a fantastic matchup. That's probably going to be the one thing that you just look at and can say, hey, like the Arizona Cardinals could want to probably make this a lot more competitive of a ball game if they can put Michael Thomas in a box. But flipping it on over to the Cardinals' offensive side of the football, rookie quarterback Kyler Murray starting to get his legs underneath him as we near the midpoint of the season. What can you say about Kyler Murray and the rest of this Cardinals offense definitely led by, I mean, the Angels wonder himself, Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about another good matchup over there, too, in terms of wide receiver corner. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald and Marshawn Lattimore, that should be a good one, too. And that's going to be very similar to Michael Thomas's matchup with Patrick Peterson in terms of how they game plan him away into the slot. But when it comes down to Kyler Murray, man, look, uh, Cam Jordan referenced Kyler Murray a couple weeks ago in a post-game press conference where he kind of talked about him in an exasperated tone because he's tired of mobile quarterbacks. The Saints have faced uh, already four very good mobile quarterbacks four of the top mobile quarterbacks in the NFL, and then now they've got Kyler Murray, who's going to be probably the fifth in there. Um, and he does it a lot in a lot of different ways. I mean, we saw him a couple weeks ago go for you know over 300 yards, NFC player of the offensive player of the week, and then we saw him last week go for you know some pedestrian numbers under 100, or just over 100 yards and a touchdown, or uh, and without a touchdown, while uh, Chase Edmonds you know ran in three touchdowns against the Giants on the ground game and 127 yards. And so when you look at that. You can sort of see that this game plan and what the Cardinals like to do can lift, and especially when they have a healthy running back back there like Chase Edmonds. And so I think that the run game isn't really going to serve very well against the Saints defense. It's not going to certainly, you know, the Saints defensive line and the Saints run defense has allowed just over 90 yards per game is much better than the one that they faced in uh, against New York for sure. And so I think that their run game is going to suffer a little bit coming into this game. And then the Saints are going to try to make the rookie quarterback beat them. And it's a very talented rookie quarterback, and it's a rookie quarterback that does a lot of good things with his feet in terms of staying mobile and extending plays. We've seen the Saints struggle with that before, so they're going to work really, really hard to contain him and continue to get him back to where he's one of the most sacked. I think he's tied for fourth or third most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL right now. They're going to try to continue to add to that number on the defensive line. Talking right now, Ross Jackson, All Saints considered in the Locked On Saints podcast. And, you know, when you, we look at everything, the bye week's coming up, and now you're nearing the trade deadline as well. What are some big targets that you think the Saints are going to go for as that Tuesday deadline approaches? You know, I think that there's a certain criteria that the Saints are looking for. And so when you look at Emmanuel Sanders, who they were in on, he's somebody that can play inside and out. He can play stacked. He can play all over the offensive line. 
he's on an expiring contract and a cheap contract, and so or cheap at this point in the season as a prorated contract. So I think that that's kind of what the Saints are going to be looking for here. A couple of names that come to mind are guys like Devontae Parker has been a name that's been thrown around a lot. He's not necessarily my favorite target at all, but he makes sense as somebody that can play in multiple positions along the offensive line, or sorry, along the line of scrimmage rather, and then can, uh, you know, comes at it with a pretty cheap contract there and is coming from a team that, look, any anybody is on the market for them, for the Dolphins, as long as they get the right price and the price that they're looking for. Then you look at other guys like Robbie Anderson, who's on the, the market right now from the New York Jets. He's somebody that can play all over and also brings you some top-end speed as well. He's got a pretty nice route tree to him. I know a lot of people just look at him as a go-route receiver, but he can do more than that. And then I guess you could throw some other names in there, guys like Marquise Lee. When you look over at the Jacksonville Jaguars, the guy that is a part of a team that just collects deep threats sort of for fun, it looks like. They just have this collection of deep threat wide receivers. And so you can get somebody, maybe you can get somebody out over there. Uh, And then you've got a couple of other folks around the league. Tyler Eifert is somebody that's been mentioned a lot as well in terms of trade talks. You can see that from uh, Brian Bianami over on Twitter as well. He talks about um, uh, Tyler Eifert quite a bit, and he's somebody that offers you kind of that same thing to where he can line up on the outside. He can also line up in line. He can line up in the slot. So you can do whatever you want just from the tight end position. The only thing that comes with him is the injury concerns, but he's on the short contract. He's on the cheap contract. So there's easy, you know, so that, that sort of meets the criteria. So those are kind of the guys that I would look for for the Saints in terms of pass catchers when it comes to what the Saints might want to do and what they might want to add. I really like the idea of adding a mid-level guy as opposed to a top-level guy like an A.J. Green. Uh, I like the idea of adding sort of an Eli Apple-level guy of character that you can bring into your, your locker room and that he can succeed in your locker room as well as succeed on, on the field. Ross, one more question for you. This will be more lighter side like we always kind of do because I've just I noticed it especially last night, the Pelicans home opener last night. You saw a lot of hype around it heading into the game. There was a lot of hype, obviously, without Zion Williamson, some of that hype died down. But we also <laughs> saw, more importantly, we talked about a lot during the offseason was the fact that maybe just maybe the Pelicans needed to have that New Orleans culture. I think it's safe to say, from what I've heard, the pregame festivities and before tip-off playing DJ Jubilee, that New Orleans culture has been in, been injected into the Pelicans games finally. Yes, and it's fantastic to see. Like it's not just some paintings of music notes and some and and, <laughs> and some instruments. You know, there's actually a, a New Orleans presence in the Smoothie King Center on game day or game days and game nights now, and I think that elevates the game day experience for the fans. You see how successful that is for the Saints. You see how special it is that they brought in for the halftime show. They brought in Fifth Ward Weeby and, uh, and DJ Manny Fresh, right? That's incredible to see that Irma Thomas singing the, uh, the, the national anthem as well. And so they really just injected some of the New Orleans culture that's so, so, so important to us all. Uh, and that we see succeed when it comes to the Saints games, too. Like when we get to the Saints playoff games, they usually try to bring in DJ Manny Fresh to DJ the halftime. Um, the halftime shows and then you have you know everything going on with Chapa and everything like that like it, it, it's incredible to see and I'm so glad that they did it and I think it's going to pay dividends for them in terms of their fan base as well as the game day experience and eventually going to pay off for that team as well man Ross thank you so much for coming on we'll talk to you next week absolutely man looking forward to it I'll talk to you soon man get some rest all right, brother, that was Ross Jackson. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ross Jackson ASC. And he's talking about get some rest. Bruh, there ain't no rest for the wicked, my man. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout, and then we'll come back with more. Maybe I'll talk a little Pels coming up next. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. 
he can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United supporters. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And fine, I'll talk a little bit uh, soccer and, of course, what's going on on the pitch right now. No Man U, that's tomorrow at 1130. Definitely going to have to do a little multitasking to see what's going on with the Reds because, man, they, they have been very up and down this year. They're still kind of, I'd say they're a fringe team in terms of promotion relegation. Currently 15th, had a draw the other night against a really good team and that was just it was wild it's wild to see Manchester United not necessarily live up to the hype they tied against Liverpool lost to Newcastle and then you wound up losing in a group stage excuse me you tied in group stage in the Europa League to AZ Akamar it's just rough to see and that definitely feels like a team that's going to be a fringe for relegation which never happens that's just not a good look for one of the Premier League's best teams my Manchester United. But a lot of fun soccer going on as well. But football-wise, Ohio State-Wisconsin currently knotted up. Nothing-nothing early second quarter. Hopefully that can kind of end because I'm surprised it's currently tied nothing-nothing because I thought maybe Ohio State would have started to at least get some points on the board. That being said, some other things going on. And I talked about the Pelicans earlier. Well, some news came out just a little while ago that I think if you're a Pels fan, you hate to see it. And, Lewis, if you're listening in on the free mobile app presented by Visit Avery Island, I want to earmuff this for a minute because I'm about to say something I think you won't necessarily be a fan of. That is Drew Holiday. As first reported by Andrew Lopez, he's out tonight for the Pels with a left knee sprain. It's a big blow for the Pels as they take on Houston. Second game of a back-to-back against a Houston Rockets team with James Harden, Russell Westbrook, which, mind you, I feel like, the, that dynamic duo, if you will, in terms of James Harden and Russell Westbrook, it feels like it's already trouble in paradise like one game into this 82-game stretch because they have just not been able to click. I mean, there was one moment early on in the ball game, I believe Thursday night, where they, were, well, they weren't like necessarily like yelling at each other, but you could tell there was a lot of frustration on the face of, of James Harden, a lot like what we saw a couple of years ago when you saw the... I'm still laughing about this. Whatever you saw the J.R. Smith play and LeBron James is just looking at him like, what the hell did you just do, you Melvin? That's basically kind of the thought process that I think, you know, James Harden had talked with Russell Rus- Russell Westbrook. I mean, the Lakers didn't look much better either last night. And they, they lost the opener, the Battle of Los Angeles. They're not looking good to start the season. Obviously, they're 1-1, one and one, 95-86 win over the, the Yaz. But starting the season with a disappointing loss on Tuesday night to the Clippers, 112-102. I can say right here, right now, that it's safe to say that the Battle of Los Angeles is starting to tip towards the favor of Kawhi Leonard and the Los Angeles Clippers because they looked really, really good. But I'm still intrigued to see what's going to happen in the not-too-distant future for the Pelicans. Without Zion Williamson, and if hopefully Drew Holiday's knee sprain is just that, it's nothing more. Because if it's something more, 
then the, it's going to be even more of an uphill climb. It's going to be an uphill climb, and I think maybe just maybe Alvin Gentry is going to be definitely a lot more frustrated like, like he was last year. And it won't, again, it won't all be on him. This one won't be on him. It's just the fact sometimes injuries will happen. This ain't ballet. You're going to see injuries happen, and I hope, upon hope, that they can get healthy and get right whenever the time is right in, let's say, December and January. Because this is October, late October, early November. That doesn't matter. Once you get past December 25th, that's when it matters the most. Once you get past that December 25th game, Christmas Day, when everybody's looking at you, that's when you start getting concerned. That's when you start looking towards the future and trying to figure out whether or not it's worth it to, quote-unquote, tank. Whether or not it's appropriate to do that. But that's a different conversation for a different day. Going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we're starting out the 12 o'clock hour talking some boxing with a guy, Blaine Henry, Regis Progre, getting ready to participate in the Ali Trophy Final. And that's going to be a lot of fun. And also, maybe a little UFC and more. You're listening to Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037TheGame.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome back out for the final half hour of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadian, a sports station, 103.7 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Live from the 237 Roof Studios. And man, oh man, we got a big weekend planned. Obviously, we got LSU. We got Astros. We got NFL to talk about. But hey, guess what? Might as well show a little love, especially to a Louisiana product in Regis Progray, getting ready for a big fight against Josh Taylor later on today in the Ollie Trophy Final. This one's going down in foggy London town at the O2 Arena. And to do that, and talk a whole lot more, especially about the UFC. We got to go to our guy Blaine Henry. He's aboard the Arco Equipment Hotline. Blaine, what's going on, man? What is up, Clint? Thanks for having me on again, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a hot minute, but man, oh man, how can we not bring you on to start the conversation about what's going on with Regis Prograde, Josh Taylor? It's finally happening at the O2 Arena later tonight. The super lightweight Ollie Trophy Final for the World Boxing Super Series. What can you say about this big matchup and how heated it is? This is probably one of the biggest fights boxing could have made that is not Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, too. Um, Regis Progray and Josh Taylor have been going back and forth since the beginning of the World Boxing Super Series Tournament. They're obviously the two best in their division in the world, and we finally get to see them throw down after they have fought through a tournament, tried and true through the best uh, super lightweights that there are. I am super excited to see this fight. I think everybody is. It's just going to be a lot of fun to see these two. What's going to be the big key for Progray to get it done tonight? 
uh, for Richard Furry, you know I love him, man. He's a New Orleans prospect. For him, I think he needs to sit back and select his shot um, carefully against Josh Taylor. Josh likes to get inside and do work, make it a sloppy fight. And we know Regis likes to sit back. He likes to counter-strike, and he likes to uh, make you pay for your mistakes. He likes to punish people. I think if Regis Progray goes and does what I'm saying he's doing now, which he needs to select his shots, if he does that and sticks to his game plan like I'm sure he will, he'll get the job done and beat the best boxer in his division and be the best boxer in his division, hands down. That would be a whole lot of fun talking right now with Blaine Henry, the Fight Library podcast. The man knows what he's talking about when it comes to boxing, MMA, and a whole lot more. And we'll get to MMA right about now because, of course, what everybody's been talking about over the last few days is what's going on with Nate Diaz. He wound up being popped by USADA, but then they ruled just like – not like after I texted you about it by coming on the show, you're like, yeah, sure thing. And I was like, the next thing you know, Nate Diaz, he's clear to compete – next Saturday in New York against Masvidal. What can you say about that big matchup now that that's officially going to happen, UFC 244 next weekend? Man, it's a, it was a weird situation. Nate Diaz has been an advocate of clean fighting. Um, everybody is on steroids, you know, the, the, the whole nine yards. So Nate Diaz was popped by USADA for a, um adverse finding. It was never an accusation of him actually using steroids. What happened was they had elevated levels of SARMs, whatever, however you pronounce it, which it was due to, he's a vegan, so it was due to um, a contaminated organic vegan plant-based uh, daily multivitamin, according to ESPN's Brett Akimoto. So basically what happened was he bought some vitamins that were organic, uh, vegan, and they were mixed in with a little um, performance-enhancing drug, something that's uh, banned by USADA, which is the sanctioning body for the UFC and their drug testing policies. So what they did was, this is pretty unprecedented, what they did was um, they tested it and they made sure, you know, he didn't knowingly take these and it was turns out it was an accident. So now Nate Diaz is cleared to fight against Jorge Masvidal. But what's a big deal about it is normally this process takes months and uh, even years. In the case of Josh Barnett, he lost 18 months of his career due to USADA and a contaminated uh, supplement. So now it took three days, two days. It took two days. So now um, the ball's kind of in USADA's court to get these uh, rulings out faster so these fighters don't lose such a big part of their career. Talk right now with my guy Blaine Henry, and man knows MMA and boxing like no other. But I want to get your thoughts on, we're talking about UFC, might as well bring up one of the, bigger acquisitions they've gotten in the last year that has been Askren, and he has definitely kind of been on the bad side of things. Obviously, a while back, UFC 239 had that big five-second knockout. We talked about Masvidal. That's the guy who knocked him out in his last fight, UFC 239, that earlier today he wound up losing to Damian Maya in a, by submission in the third round. Definitely a tough break for a guy who came in to the UFC with a lot of hype. Ben Askren, um, he came in, he bragged on Joe Rogan's podcast about being the least hit MMA fighter there is, and he got outboxed by a jiu-jitsu guy. It was definitely a bad look for Ben Askren first, the knockout by Jorge Masvidal, who came in there and starched him in five seconds, the fastest in UFC history. It's going to be played on highlights for years. Um, and then he comes in after, right after that fight, and, you know, he didn't look bad. Um, Damian Maia is dangerous on the ground. He's the best jiu-jitsu player in the UFC without a doubt, even better than Crow Gracie. So 
Maya and Ben Askren was a science experiment to see would Ben Askren's wrestling and would he be able to keep position correctly against Damian Maya, who's so dangerous. And we saw some crazy things. We saw a heel hook attempt. We saw an Ola Plata attempt. And it was just a matter of time before Damian Maya made Ben Askren make a mistake, which he ultimately did in round three. And he got the rear naked choke in and Ben tapped, and that was the end of the fight, you know. Um, I don't know if Ben fights again, honestly, because Ben Askren wanted to come prove he's the best in the world. And at his age, he's in his mid-30s. Uh, two-fight losing streak in a deep welterweight division. It's going to be a hard climb for him to do that. He might stick to coaching wrestling from here on out. It seems like that'd be the route to go until right now with Blaine Henry Fight Library Podcast. The man knows what he's talking about. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what's going to be happening a little bit further down the line with a lot of these big-name fights. But one in particular going to be in 2020. According to Conor McGregor, he will turn to the octagon on January the 18th in Las Vegas. He hasn't mentioned the who who do you think that fight could be against? Uh, there's two options that are currently floating around right now. One is Justin Gaethje, who is probably the most exciting fighter in the UFC when he's in the cage. Um, that will be a brawl. And the second is my personal favorite, Cowboy Cerrone. Um, Cowboy is, is wanted to fight Connor and kind of wanted to fight Cowboy for the longest time. I personally think that's the fight to make. Cowboy deserves a big payday. They would... Uh, you know, they have history. They've gone back and forth arguing before past press events. Uh, I think Cowboys the fight to make, but don't count out Justin Gaethje, who's a contender, and would put Connor in the spot for a title shot quicker than uh, the Cowboy fight would. I like that point of view right there, man. Just, but still, Connor McGregor going to be back in MMA is just such a weird thing to think about now. It, it, it is. I mean, uh, uh, Connor. Uh, made the sport what it is today. He, he changed the game more than probably anybody except for Henzo Gracie, who pretty much made the sport. Um, Conor McGregor back in MMA will be a good thing if he can stay out of trouble. Uh, I think that's the big if right there. Conor McGregor's great. He's exciting. He's fun to watch, uh, especially in the cage. You know, his trash talk. Sometimes he crosses the line, yeah, but it's still, like, leading up to the fight, he's still, you know, uh, leading up to his greatness, he still entertained fans, and, and he brought new eyes to the sport, and I think the UFC is sorely missing that. They're trying to get that back with Israel and Sanya, and they tried with Ben Askren, which was a failed experiment. Um, so who knows? We'll see. You know, I hope Connor comes back and he, he actually is hungry like he was, and he's not super cocky like he was against the Khabib fight. I want to see the old Conor McGregor back. I hope he can be back as well because it just feels like we need to have that kind of injected back in our lives because it feels like right now, you brought it up perfectly, there's not exactly that top star in a whole lot of divisions. I mean, obviously you got John Jones, but still, you just don't have that top guy that can wind up really talking people into a room. No, you got Max Holloway who's really growing very largely. Um, Valentina Shevchenko's a little quiet, you know. Uh, Wiley Zhang is the, uh, she's probably going to grow a huge following out of China. She's the first Chinese UFC champion. But like, Stephen Miocha, she's not, he's not easy to market. You know, John Jones stays in trouble. Israel Adesanya, he, he's growing in popularity. Uh, you got Khabib, who's great in Russia, but I don't think American fans like him as much because he's Russian. You know, UFC's struggling to find these stars, and, and having Conor McGregor back would be huge for the sport itself and for not really Americans, which is weird because he's Irish. Yeah, it is kind of weird, but, you know, and you brought it up perfectly. Like, you're losing a lot of those top stars, 
But now we bring it up, those top stars. I, I just have to get your thoughts on this because it's just been one of those things that's just been mind-boggling to me over the last month is seeing Tyson Fury and Kane censored for Radio Velasquez being involved with the world of WWE. It, 2019 is a weird timeline right now. It's, it's incredibly weird, but you know what? I like it for these guys. Cain Velasquez, he didn't have it to compete uh, in the UFC anymore. His body was just letting him down. And we saw it in the, the uh, Francis Ngannou fight where uh, he, he just it wasn't enough, you know. And then Tyson Fury has the personality to go for the WWE. I'm not the biggest WWE fan, to be honest with you, but I like that these guys have uh, careers after fighting. They don't have to kill themselves. WWE is not the easiest career path to go down, but it's a hell of a lot easier than fighting. It is a heck of a lot easier than MMA fighting. I mean, unless you're a guy like I'm a Jake Hager who's getting it done in Bellator, mind you, last night, not exactly his best look, uh, no contest in the first round up against what seemed like it was going to be another cupcake win for him, wound up coming away with a no contest, but he's definitely transitioning well to make, to be able to be a two-combat sport athlete. Yeah, Jake Hager, I like I like the idea of him coming over. He was a collegiate wrestler. You can look at Brock Lesnar, he was the same thing. Um, but I think Hager's good for Bellator. Um, I don't know if he has a top six cut in the UFC just yet, but he's improving a lot. And no contest, you know, we, you can argue about that. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, Jake Hager's name is going to be Jake Hager's name. So he's great for Bellator, and I'm happy to see him doing what he wants to do and doing it well. Blaine, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road when we get the next big fight. Uh, the next big fight is next weekend. Nate Diaz and Jorge yep. Masvidal. You don't want to miss that UFC 244 at MSG. Uh, tune in. You guys are going to love it. I'm probably going to love it. Trust me, man. Uh, again, appreciate you coming on, man. Talk to you down the road. All right, Clint. Take it easy, brother. All right, that was Blaine Henry. You can follow him, in, follow him on Twitter at Blaine Henry MMA. That's what we do here on a Saturday afternoon. Kind of vary things up a little bit. But trust me, we'll get right back to the world of football in just a little bit. Be back with more after this one last timeout before we send it over to the LSU pregame show next on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah! on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Nearing halftime for a lot of the games that started at 11, namely, we're getting really close to the end of the first half between Ohio State and and Wisconsin and Ohio State up nine, 10 to nothing, excuse me, 10 nothing with 43 seconds left in the first half. Nice touchdown pass to get things open for Ohio State heading into the break. And then with a minute nine left, you got App State beating South Alabama, as expected to be South Alabama, is absolute garbage. They're, they're down, App State up 13 nil on them. You've also got Iowa taking down Northwestern 10-0, hashtag as expected. 
But one game that's ever been a lot more competitive, maybe it's just the fact that it's a Big 12 offense, Big 12 game, is what's going on between Oklahoma and Kansas State. Boomer Sooner looking looking good, 20-14, to 14, but it's still surprising to see that number put up, 20-14. to 14. But what's even weirder is the fact that you've got App State on national television on the U at 11 a.m. Mind you, they are ranked, they deserve the love, but against a South Alabama team, eh, I, I'd, I'd rather not. And they're heading to halftime in just a moment. And Iowa's heading close to halftime as well. The Hawkeyes, 20th ranked Hawkeyes looking good, heading into kind of the tail end of the season once we get into the month of November. But still, going to be a lot of fun to see what happens over the next few weeks in terms of LSU, what happens with them over the next couple of weeks. Because they've got the bye week, you're getting a lot of things done in terms of the recruiting, and now after tonight, that game prep, for Alabama begins, and I think everybody is looking forward to it. Everybody's maybe a little frustrated with the fact that it's a 2.30 game. I honestly love it. A 2.30 p.m. game in Tuscaloosa. That hasn't happened in a while. But I'm about to tell you why. That's actually a very good thing if you're an LSU fan. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. And I think this take is going to be the one that holds up the most. Everybody was complaining for weeks upon weeks of, oh, man, LSU is going to play a 2.30 against Alabama. We should be the t- the primetime game. Here's the thing. We can't control that. Deal with it. I'd much rather be a 2.30, especially after what we've seen since 2011 in the bright lights of Tiger Stadium, the bright lights of Brian Denny. Give me a 2.30 game. It takes away some of that that beautiful, that that mystique of LSU Alabama, but it puts things in a different perspective. You're not building yourself up for two weeks to be ready for Saturday night. You're getting yourself ready for a Saturday afternoon game on CBS. I'd much rather that kind of game than the last time they played at 2.30. Guess what? They won against Alabama. Remember that. Remember the fact that the last time this game was at 2.30, it was a marquee matchup. This will be a top two matchup if LSU wins tonight, or this afternoon, I should say. They can wind up securing a number one versus number two game of the century part deux nine years later. It'd be a lot different. Excuse me, not nine. Eight years later. There we go. That's more like it. But eight years later, you have a chance to have the game of the century part two. And this one could be a lot more high scoring. I'd give the edge to LSU if they can do that, I think they have every chance. This is the year where LSU can finally do the thing they've been wanting to do for a long time. And that is hashtag beat Bama. They do that. I think this place is going to be lit as I'll get out on Monday morning into the next several weeks. Because there's going to be bragging rights abound after November 9. If we wind up seeing LSU beat Alabama and if, especially if they beat Alabama and that offense finally gets things done because they have been almost deficient in that game against Alabama. And this is dating back years. 
the last several years. At home, they haven't made him a score touchdown. Against Alabama, it's just been a hard time getting points on the board against a stellar defense. This will be the toughest defense they face tonight when it comes to LSU. They're playing Auburn, a tough defensive front seven. That offensive line is going to be on their P's and Q's and have one of their best performances to stop that D-line from doing things. The defensive side of the football for LSU, they're going to have to want to bring pressure at all times to one Bo Nix. He's a freshman. He's going to crumble under the pressure, especially if you have these big dogs barking up the tree. I'm telling you right now, that's the way this is going to go. And in two weeks' time, we got a game of the century part due. But I'm telling you now, 2.30 kickoff, that's not a bad thing. It's a great thing if you're an LSU fan because guess what? The pressure of prime time is off of your shoulders. You can do a mid-afternoon game. Those mid-afternoon, those early morning games, they work quite well for LSU all year long. You look at all the 11 a.m. games they've had bright and early. They've whipped up on opponents. Yes, it's Vanderbilt, Utah State, the list goes on and on. But I think this team is more than up for the challenge to be playing at 2.30. Prime time, you don't necessarily need it anymore, especially with Joey Burrow. The man is so used to playing 11 a.m. games. He's so used to being a part of that back in the Big Ten days, back when he was with, with the Ohio State, who's currently up 10 nothing at halftime. I think that this is going to be a lot of fun, what's going on between these two teams. It's going to be, it feels like it's going to be a wild and wacky one like we've seen in the past, but don't be surprised if you see LSU come away with a big win. 2011, me and Ben talked about this, 2011 was the year when LSU thumped Auburn and then some. It came away with a big win, and we're getting ready to set themselves up to become one of the greatest teams of all time, and they were playing against one of the best in Alabama. I want to see in two weeks' time, number one versus number two, number one Alabama, number two LSU. That's what I want to see because that is going to be the game everybody watches. And I'd much rather be the game everybody watches and realizes the greatness that is LSU because this will be Joe Burrow's Heisman game. If he loses this game, Jalen Hurts is winning the Heisman Trophy. I'm telling you right now. Straight up facts. And I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday afternoon, everybody. we got LSU Auburn pregame show coming up in just a little bit. And then don't forget, Astros after LSU wraps up. So, hey, we got you covered all the way around. Be back next Saturday. Sports Radio Update starts now. On your college football scoreboard here in this week nine Saturday, they're at the half. Number three, Ohio State leading number 13, Wisconsin 10 to nothing. Number 